again today. Um, we have been in a series on uh, the book of Romans, and so we're going to continue with that today. We're going to be in Romans chapter 2. Uh, if you have your Bibles, you can flip over there with me. Romans chapter 2, we're going to be specifically looking at verses 1 through 16. Romans chapter 2, verses 1 through 16. We're not going to stand and read all 16 verses, so don't worry. Um, but uh, I did want to give you a few thoughts of introduction. Paul makes in these verses three observations. And so let me just share the three observations with you. These will kind of serve as an outline for us. The first observation is that Paul makes is that there is no such thing as impunity when it comes to the judgment of God. The judgment of God is really what these verses are all about. That seems to be the theme that runs throughout. So that there's no impunity with the judgment of God. And then the second um, thing that Paul tells us is that there's no impartiality. Uh, that when it comes to God, that God uh, doesn't show favor uh, to people. And then the last thing that Paul points out is that there is a way to escape from the judgment of God. So again, this is going to serve as kind of our outline for today. So let's go ahead and take a look at the verses. Um, we're going to read Romans chapter 2. If you have your Bibles again, you can flip over there or just follow along with us on the screen. Romans chapter 2, I'm going to ask you to stand to your feet for the reading of God's Word. Romans chapter 2, beginning at verse 2. And it's been a little while since I've said this, so I think I'm going to say this. This is where truth comes from. Amen? All right, doesn't matter what you hear out there. Doesn't matter what somebody said coming through the radio. Doesn't matter what you... I don't, I don't want to pick on my mother-in-law. I'm not picking on my mother-in-law. But some of y'all, your mother-in-law, you know. I got a great mother-in-law. But it doesn't matter what your mother-in-law says. Um, it doesn't matter what your, what your friends think or what anybody else thinks. It only matters what God thinks. At the end of the day, this, this is all that matters. And so uh, we stand week in and week out to be reminded of that. Hit the reset button on all the stuff that we heard this past week and to say, you know what, if this doesn't agree with what I heard, then I'm going to go with what this says, all right? So that's why we stand each week. Romans chapter 2, beginning at verse 2. Here we go. We know that the judgment of God rightly falls on those who practice such things. Do you suppose, O man, you who judge those who practice such things and yet do them yourself, that you will escape the judgment of God? Or do you presume on the riches of his kindness and forbearance and patience, not knowing that God's kindness is meant to lead you to repentance? But because of your hard and impenitent heart, you are storing up wrath for yourself on the day of wrath when God's righteous judgment will be revealed. You may be seated. Thank you so much. All right, we're going to dive into these verses together. Again, we've got that little catalog in our, mind, our log in our mind of what the outline is going to be like. So we're going to start with the first of those, that there's no impunity when it comes to the judgment of God. So look at verse 3 with me. It says, uh, Paul uses the reference, O man. Now this is a, going back to ancient times, back in Paul's day. This is how Jewish people would have interacted with one another. They would say, O man. And that was a way of greeting another Jewish person. They wouldn't have done that to a Roman. They wouldn't have done that to a Gentile. They would have done that to one another, to other Jews. So we know that Paul is speaking to Jewish people here in this passage. That's one of the indications that we have through these verses. So he says, O man, uh, do you suppose, O man, O Jews, you who judge those who practice such things? Well, what things is he referring to? Well, if we were to go back into Romans chapter 1, we would have seen a whole list of depravity, of items that Paul points out there, how cultures uh, degrade, about how civilizations uh, begin to fall apart, of how individual sin uh, affects all those sorts of things that happen in the broader culture. And so that's what he's referring to, is all these wrong things, all these bad things that are involved in culture. And so he says, do you think that you will escape the judgment of God. You know, the judgment of God, friends, is inevitable. It's going to happen. Now, not everybody agrees with that. Some people would say, I, I, I think God's merciful. I think God's just. I think God's kind. I don't think God's going to, I don't think he's going to do that. I think God's loving. I don't think God's actually going to judge people. They simply don't believe it. 
But the Bible is very clear throughout that the judgment of God is something that's going to happen. For example, Psalm chapter 7 and 9 and verse 7, the psalmist writes, But the Lord sits enthroned forever. He has established his throne for justice. 2 Timothy chapter 4 and verse 1 says, When Jesus Christ comes back, he will come back to judge the living and the dead. For um, Also in Acts chapter 17 and verse 31, when Paul is preaching to the Athenians, he says to them, because he has fixed a day, because God has fixed a day on which he will judge the world. Friends, the judgment of God is coming for all of mankind. There is no avoiding it. There's no giving it the slip. There's no hoping that it'll just go away. It is an event that will happen in time. God is going to judge the world. Not only is the judgment of God inevitable, but it's also inclusive. Romans chapter 2 and verse 6, Paul writes, He, God, will render to each one, each person individually, according to his works. It says down in verses 9 and 10, I don't have these verses for you, but it says that this will be appropriated to both Jew and Gentile alike, to both the Jewish people and the rest of the world, Gentiles. Now, one reason that a lot of people don't believe that God's going to judge the world is because they have a misunderstanding of what the kindness of God is all about. Um, And this is where the Jewish people were. They had the Old Testament. The Old Testament told them that God was merciful, and they saw God be merciful. They had the Old Testament that told them that God is kind, and they saw God over and over and over again being kind. They read the Old Testament that said that God was patient, and again, they saw God throughout the Old Testament being patient with his people. And and they read that over and over again, and that because God had said that he, had, you know, he was merciful, he was kind, he was patient, they just kind of dismissed some of this judgment stuff because when God said he was going to judge them and then he never did, or he relented from his judgment, they figured, well, I think God's just a paper tiger, right? There's no, there's no bite to him. He's just saying these things. But verse 4 warns us of Romans chapter 2, Or do you presume on the riches of his kindness and forbearance and patience, not knowing that God's kindness, or his, some translations, the goodness of God, is meant to lead you to repentance? Friends, God has the right to wipe out every human being anytime we sin. The Bible says that the wages of sin is what? It is. And so anytime that we sin, God has the right to just eliminate us from this world. And so, friends, anytime that we sin and then don't just drop dead, we've experienced the kindness of God. Anytime you hear somebody blaspheme against God and then they suck in their next breath, you have just witnessed someone experiencing the kindness of God. God has the right in that very moment to just smack down and destroy anybody who sins. But again, God is kind. Nevertheless, the kindness of God does not grant permanent immunity to us for our actions. And here's where the Jews and others have misunderstood the kindness of God. The kindness of God grants temporary immunity so that we might repent and trust Christ and be saved. Paul says, verse 4, the purpose of the kindness of God is to lead us to repentance. So many people don't view the kindness of God that way. Rather, they abuse his kindness. They don't use it as an opportunity to repent. Rather, they use it as an opportunity, as a license to sin. Well, God hasn't done anything to me yet, so I'll just keep on going the way I've been going. Paul says in verse 5, "But But because of your hard and impenitent heart, you are storing up wrath for yourselves on the day of wrath when God's righteous judgment will be revealed. In other words, they are piling up more and more of God's judgment, more and more of God's anger, more and more of God's wrath upon them for that day when God will judge the world. 
is kind of like a credit card. We all use credit cards. Some of us, well, I don't want to get down that road. But, you know, you go out to dinner, you pull out your plastic, you set it down, and it's like, I didn't lose anything, right? I had dinner and it didn't cost me anything. No money exchanged hands. I didn't feel any value from my days, my week's work go out of my fingers. Um, and so, and you go out and you buy a new bike. Perhaps you go on a vacation. You put down that plastic and it's like, this is wonderful. I mean, I can buy anything. I can do anything. But then at the end of the month, I mean, all of a sudden that day of reckoning, right? And you open up the bill and you're like, where did we spend all this? Where did this come from, right? You're wondering, well, how did this happen? Well, credit cards, if we're not watchful friends, can represent temporary impunity from the real impact of our behavior. And God is that same way. God doesn't demand in the moment that we disobey him that we pay the price for that. That's his kindness at work. God gives us temporary impunity. God's goodness, his kindness are just like a master card. You may enjoy it today, the sin today, but one day all accounts must be settled. And every day a person lives without Jesus Christ. And every day a person refuses to repent of their sins and turn toward him, they are piling up more and more of God's wrath for that day of judgment. God promises it's coming for every single human being. What a fearful day it will be for people who have over a lifetime piled up sins. So that's our first observation this morning. The Holy Spirit of God is saying, look, Jews, don't you think that your status of, as a Jew is going to grant you impunity from the judgment of God? Second observation is that there is no partiality, partiality when it comes to um, God, when it comes to his judgment. Uh, for example, verse 6, Paul writes, he will render to each one according to his work. In other words, he's going to render to each person individually, on an individual basis, according to what we have done. Verse 11, he says, For God shows no partiality. Verse 13, For it is not the hearers of the law who are righteous before God, but the doers of the law who will be justified. Paul is saying it doesn't matter if you're a Jew. It doesn't matter if you heard the law, right? That's what he's saying there in verse 13. It doesn't matter if you're somebody who's heard the law and you, and you know what it is that God expects you to do. It doesn't, God doesn't care about any of that stuff. He's not a respecter of persons. God is going to judge everybody impartially. This is one of the biggest misunderstandings that Jews had about judgment. They knew God had made a special covenant with Abraham, that God had promised Abraham that he and his descendants, that God would be their God. And so they just assumed that because I've been born in the bloodline of Abraham, that everything's good, right? All Jews go to heaven. That's kind of the way they understood this. Uh, this is one of the biggest misunderstandings that the Jewish people had about judgment. They knew that God had made this special covenant with him, but it did not secure salvation for them just because they were born a Jew. But this is, again, what they believed. Uh, Justin Martyr, one of the early Christian theologians, uh, was having a debate, a dialogue with a rabbi. And Rabbi Tripo uh, said these words. He said, those are the seed of Abraham, or he said, those who are of the seed of Abraham according to the flesh shall in any case, even if they be sinners, even if they be unbelieving, even if they be disobedient toward God, they shall still share in the eternal kingdom. See what Tripo's saying here? He's saying, look, if you're born a Jew, it doesn't matter what you do. It doesn't matter what you believe. It doesn't matter how you act. God is still, because you're born a Jew, going to receive you as one of Abraham's children, and you'll make it into heaven. That's what, and Paul is saying, look, God shows no partiality. 
We see them exercising this perspective all through the Gospels. For example, John chapter 8 and verse 33. The Jews respond to Jesus, but we are offspring of Abraham, they say. Right? We're, we're part of the bloodline. Like, what are you talking about that we need to be set free? What are you talking about that we're in bondage? We're not in bondage. None of us are in bondage. I mean, we're part of Abraham. So there's no spiritual bondage here. They say in verse 39, but Abraham is our father. See how they're clinging to their connection to Abraham as that everything's good for us. We're part of the group, right? We're going to get in. And that's what Jews thought, that all Jews go to heaven, that this doesn't matter about their personal sin because they are Abraham's children. Now, I want to caution us that there are a lot of Americans who think this way as well. There are a lot of Americans who think that because I've got church membership, well, I'm going to get in. There's a lot of Americans who think that because I live in a Christian nation that, yeah, of course, everybody who's an American goes to heaven. Friends, I'm telling you, there are a lot of Americans who think like that, who have this kind of a group salvation mentality. There are a lot of Americans who think they're going to go to heaven because they've been confirmed. There's a lot of Americans who think they're going to go to heaven because they've been baptized or because they practice religious rituals or because they go to church or because they identify with Christianity. And they think, well, God's, you know, God's not going to judge me. I mean, I'm going to go in with the rest of everybody else. Friends, there are people all over our world who think they are going to go in with the rest of the Catholics, who think they're going to go in with the rest of the Baptists, who think they're going to go in with the rest of the Methodists and with the rest of the Presbyterians. But God tells us right here in Romans chapter 2 that nobody is going in on the basis of group identification. If you're going to heaven, it's going to be on an individual basis that you made a personal decision to make Jesus Christ your Savior and your Lord. And unless you make that personal decision, you're not going to go in on anybody's coattails. It doesn't work like that. God says judgment is going to be impartial. Human con the human's con condition, what group you're a part of is not going to make one bit of difference. Issues of race and birth and ancestry and culture and position and status and membership in a certain club, the Bible is crystal clear on this. God is not a respecter of persons. Deuteronomy chapter 10 and verse 17, for example, for the Lord your God is God of gods and Lord of lords, the great, the mighty, and the awesome God who is not partial and who takes no bribes. Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 9. Masters, do the same to them and stop your threatening, knowing that he, God, who is both their master and yours, is in heaven and that there is no partiality with him. You know, we all know about pull. We all know about clout. We all know that it's not about what you know, but it's about yeah, that's right. That's the way the world works, right? That's how you get ahead in the world. And we understand that that's the way the world works. But may I say to you that when we stand before God, it is not going to come, it is going to come as a great shock to some folks that pull and clout and position and who you know is not going to matter at all when we stand before the judge of the universe. Those things don't make a bit of difference. It doesn't make any difference to God whether you're laying carpet for a living or you're a king, whether you're a plumber or a prime minister or whether you're a Jew or a Gentile. Hell is full of kings. Hell is full of queens. Hell is full of senators and congressmen. Hell is full of millionaires and billionaires and corporate executives and CEOs. Hell is full of them. God is no respecter of persons. And I would add, hell is full of Baptists. I'm not trying to make a joke there, right? Oh, you can juggle a little bit. It's all right. 
And, it's not full, and hell is full of Methodists. And hell is full of Presbyterians. And hell is full of Catholics. And hell is full of Jews as well. Even though God had set them apart as a nation, even though God had revealed himself to them and given them the Old Testament law, it doesn't matter. Because there is no such thing as clout when it comes to the judgment of God. Every person who will be, will be judged according to who he was, what he did, and to what degree he had a relationship with Jesus Christ, whether or not that existed. And friends, if that relationship didn't exist, then that person is subject to the judgment of God. And so Paul is saying, Jews, don't think, please don't think, he's saying to them here, that because you're part of Abraham's family, that that means you got salvation. And he's saying to you and I, because you're a part of the Christian club, don't think that that means that you're, a part, you're, going, you're getting in. Don't think because your grandfather was a pastor that that means that you're getting in. Don't think that God's going to give you any special consideration. Man looks at the outward appearance, the Bible says. God looks at the heart. All right, well, that's our treatment of this, uh, these texts for today, and so that means it's time to ask the question. We ask every week around here, what difference does all this make to my life? Uh, that's a really great question. Let me see if I can answer that. You know, I said that we had three observations, and so I've given you two. Let me give you the third one, and it answers our, our most important question. Uh, take a look at verse 16. It's a lot of bad news so far. Paul's going to give us the good news now. Verse 16, On that day, the day of judgment, when according to my gospel, God judges the secrets of men by Christ Jesus. And you say, why does Paul say my gospel? Why doesn't he just say the gospel? Well, because in Paul's day, there were many different versions of this being taught. And Paul even says in Galatians chapter 1, I think it's verse 9, maybe it's verse 10, he says, look, if anybody teaches you any other gospel other than the one that I taught you, I have nothing to do with that person. Um, and so there was different versions going around out there that, yes, you have to put your faith in Jesus, but you also have to be circumcised. Yes, you have to put your faith in Jesus, but you also have to practice this Jewish stuff. And Paul says, no, it is by, it is by faith that we are saved. Um, it is God's doing his work, not our work. We bring nothing to the table. It's God's work plus nothing else. And so Paul says, that's what my gospel, that's what my teaching is. And so the key phrase in there is, according to my gospel. The gospel message is a message that tells people how to escape the judgment of God. It tells us that there is a way out of the judgment of God. And God offers it to every single sinner. And it's found in the blood of Jesus Christ. The blood of Jesus is the covering that God has provided for sinners. It shields us from the judging eyes of God. It protects us from the wrath of God. This is why the Bible calls Jesus our Passover lamb. It goes back to the time when the Egyptians or when the Israelites were in the land of Egypt, in the land of Goshen, and they were, uh, had painted their doorposts with the blood of the lamb, and they went inside, that, inside their homes and they hid behind that blood. And the death angel passed over Egypt, and anyone who did not have the blood applied to the doorpost, the death angel took the firstborn out of that, um, or, or killed the firstborn out of that household. Um, and so they were hiding behind the blood of Jesus, or hiding behind the blood of that lamb. And so just the same, we hide behind the blood of Jesus. He is our Passover lamb. And by doing that, we're able to escape or avoid the judgment of God. Um, J Jesus said, John chapter 5, and verse 24, Whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life. He does not come into judgment, but has passed from death to life. 
Friends, that is the deliverance of God. That is the great news of this passage, that there is a way for us to escape, and the way for us to escape the judgment of God is through the blood that Jesus shed on the cross. Allow me to conclude with this. The Jews were right. Some people are exempt from the judgment of God. Some people will not experience it. The problem is the Jewish people had the wrong folks. The people that would be exempt from the judgment of God were the people that had put their faith and their trust in the work that Jesus had accomplished on the cross as their means for gaining entry into heaven, and plus nothing else. The problem is, again, they had the wrong people. They thought because they were the descendants of Abraham, because they took refuge in their relationship to Abraham, that they were going to get in, that they were just going to ride the coattails of Abraham. But friends, that won't cut it. And there are people today who are convinced that they are going to be exempt from the judgment of God because they take refuge in church membership, in baptism, in good works, in religious rituals. But friends, again, that won't cut it either. The only thing that will save is the blood of Jesus. The folks who are exempt from the judgment of God are those who take refuge in his blood. You know, God is warning all of us that if we turn down the blood of Jesus, if we refuse it, if we decide that, you know what, God, I'm just going to take it upon myself, and I'm going to show up in heaven on my own merit, and I'm going to have it out with you, and I'm going to share every reason why it is that you ought to accept me into heaven, and God and I are going to have an exchange, and I'm going to win him over. God is saying to us right here, that won't cut it. And so God is warning us not to go down that road because it'll reap spiritual disaster of eternal proportions. 7.02 a.m., December 7th, 1941. A young uh, private was monitoring a radar system named George Elliott Jr. It's a brand new radar installation on the island of Oahu. And all of a sudden on the radar screen at 7.02 a.m., he saw several large blips, larger than anything he had ever seen before. He had seen planes fly into Hawaii before. He knew what they looked like on the radar screen. He had seen ships come in from sea. He knew what those looked like on the radar screen, but this was something different, something massive. And so he decided, look, I need to call this in. And so he called it in to Fort Shafter about these blips that were 137 miles away. And he told them what was happening, and he told them what he saw. And a young lieutenant by the name of Kermit Tyler picked up the phone and said, Look, I don't know what they are. I don't know who they are. But one thing I know is that we are all safe. So turn off your radar and just forget about it. Forty-nine minutes later, a Japanese pilot said those infamous words, Torah, Torah, Torah. And word went out over the island on the radio, air raid, Pearl Harbor. This is not a drill. 137 miles, 50 minutes they had to prepare. Now, obviously, still would have been decimated, but they could have prepared. They were warned, but they dismissed it. They said, ah, we're safe. Forget about it. But by the time they figured out what was happening, it was too late. Historians have called this the greatest warning ignored in all of history. Friends, I would submit to you that it's not the greatest warning ignored in all of history. The greatest warning in all of history is when Jesus said, Unless you repent, you will perish. 
Friends, there are people in hell today who would give anything, anything that they had while they were here on this earth for another opportunity to receive the blood of Jesus. There are people in hell today who would do anything to have the chance to reach out and grab hold of the blood of Jesus. Friends, my prayer today and what Paul wants us to hear is that don't wait till it's too late and God turns your eternity into a Pearl Harbor. God is warning us to listen to his principles of judgment. May we heed his warning. Let's pray. Most gracious God, we thank you for your word. Uh, sometimes it's something that warms our hearts. Sometimes, Lord, it's stern. Lord, this morning it warns us. And so, God, we just ask that we would take very seriously what we have heard today. Some of us, Lord, some of us in our family, some of us in our workplace are heading for a disaster in eternity. There are no coattails that we can ride on our way into heaven. Lord, an individual decision needs to be made. Lord, if there are those here this morning during this time of communion who have not entered into a personal relationship with you, Lord, we ask that you would stir in their hearts, that your Holy Spirit would speak to them, would draw them unto your side, that they would repent of sins, call you their Savior, and know that because they made that decision, eternity has swung completely 180. Lord, we... Um, Submit this time to you. We're thankful for your broken body and your shed blood, which remind us, Lord, of what made all of this possible. It's not what I did. It's not what I taught. It's not what I said. It's not how I lived. It's where I put my faith and trust for eternity. And so, Jesus, as we receive these symbols of your broken body and your shed blood, may we with grateful hearts um, remember uh, your sacrifice. God, we just give you this space, and we pray your blessing over it in Christ's holy name. Amen.